Hey, hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and this episode is Q&A number 83. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. They manufacture electrolyte products that uh, you can use to match how much sodium you lose in your sweat rate because everybody has uh, a slightly different sodium, sweat sodium concentration and uh, a sweat rate. So uh, the actual differences in how much sodium you lose in total compared to your body might be very significant. And uh, over the course of especially a longer event or a longer training training session, and especially when the temperature is uh, hot and uh, the conditions are humid, that's when those things really start to make a big difference and you can lose a lot of performance if you don't adequately replace sodium. So go and check them out. Take the free online sweat test to get an estimate for how much sodium you lose and get 15% off your order with the promo code DATTRAFLONSHOW15. And big thanks to Roka. Roka are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear. And one of their new favorites, uh, the, the one of the top-rated products that has recently come out of the Roka Labs, is uh, the Maverick MX Max Buoyancy wetsuit, which uh, has combined the arms of technology uh, with uh, really good material uh, development in producing the most buoyant wetsuit ever so that is uh, something that is uh, a really good option and it's also very very affordable for a high-end wetsuit at 450 dollars or euros and 400 british pounds you can check that out and any other products and get 20 percent off your order with the promo code that you can find on roca.com forward slash tts now, just one mention before we get into today's questions. Uh, I will, at the end of this episode, talk a little bit more about a couple of house cleaning items regarding a new free training plan for the COVID-19 pandemic time that we're in at the moment that I created and that is available through scientifictriathlon.com. So I'll talk about that at the end of the episode. So don't uh, close it off after I finish answering the question or questions if you want to hear more about that. But first, uh, this question is from Lars in Germany who writes, Hello Michael, it has been well proven that training with high weights and low reps improves endurance performance. Do we also know why this is the case? Wouldn't functional strength exercises like single leg squats or push-ups with proper form be better for achieving this goal? They require a lot of coordination to be executed properly and have a very strong stability component in addition to the neuromuscular component, all of which seem much more triathlon-specific to me while not putting the joints under heavy load. What is your take on this type of exercise compared to heavy weights? Also, someone once told me that with bodyweight exercises, the number of repetitions does not matter as they do not elicit hypertrophy anyway, so you could go beyond six reps with push-ups or similar exercises. Is this correct and applicable? Kind regards, Lars. So uh, first of all, let's uh, start with what are the mechanisms behind why heavy resistance strength training improves endurance performance? And uh, I will rely here on the summary chapter in the textbook uh, Endurance Training, 
edited by Inigo Muyika, but uh, the chapter is not written by him. But this book in turn generally relies on the systematic reviews and meta-analysis that you've heard me talk about and reference directly many times before, but I just happen to be reading that book at the moment, so it sits here handy on my desk to make the job a bit easier for me to summarize these um, adaptations or mechanisms for adaptations. And also, uh, I should mention that uh, I'll have a link in the show notes to an article where you have a great diagram uh, that you can go and check out with all of these mechanisms listed and shown how they relate to each other. So mechanism number one is uh, an increased proportion of 2A muscle fibers compared to 2X muscle fibers. And so there is a fiber shift. Some 2X fibers turn into 2A fibers. So still fast twitch, but uh, with more aerobic uh, capabilities and more trainable aerobically. This leads to you becoming more resistant to fatigue because those 2A fibers, uh, again, they can get better and better with training as producing energy aerobically and not just anaerobically through glycolysis. This also possibly leads to better economy, but uh, the book doesn't elaborate on the mechanism for this. And uh, in some of the review papers that when I go to them and have a look, they say that it's possible, but uh, with a question mark. So it's at a hypothesis stage still. But at the very least, uh, we know that uh, with more 2A fibers compared to 2X fibers, you will definitely be able to perform better in endurance events because of the increased ability to, uh, to produce energy aerobically. Uh, economy being, again, a hypothesis at this point for why the fiber shift is uh, important. Uh, in terms of how long it takes and what it takes to induce this sort of fiber shift, so get a larger proportion of 2A fibers, uh, this seems to be, uh, when you look at the research, uh, 12 weeks of uh, heavy resistance strength training and uh, a relatively high volume. And what do we mean by that? Well, two times per week at least, and three to five sets per exercise for at least two multi-joint exercises. So it's pretty standard. Uh, you Many programs will have three sets per exercise. That's generally what I go for. Uh, but uh, actually there might be a benefit of trying experimenting with going even higher than that and do more sets. And definitely that sort of heavy resistance uh, aspect has been established for this fiber shift that does not occur with uh, with low resistance exercises. The second mechanism behind the adaptations is the neuromuscular function at both spinal and supraspinal levels. This improved neuromuscular function in turn leads to increased force production or in more scientific, uh, when it comes to resistance training, lingo MVC or maximum voluntary uh, contraction and also increased force develop rate of force development or RFD. So those are two things you'll see thrown around a lot, MVC and RFD. And uh, this increased MVC or force production, that in turn leads to, again, a reduced fatigability since fewer fibers have to be recruited at a given power output because each can produce slightly more power. And uh, in and on the other side of the equation, the improved uh, rate of force development, that may lead to a prolonged relaxation phase, at least in cycling in the pedal stroke, which would contribute to reduced fatigability again. And uh, 
this is also something that has been hypothesized to be happening in cross-country skiing but uh, i think that's still at a hypothesis stage as well but as an example about the contribution of mvc and rfd again this would be force production and rate of force development uh, a study done by Argard and colleagues in 2011 that I'll link to in the episode description put young top-level cyclists through a 16-week strength training program and found an improvement of 8% in 45-minute time trial performance compared to endurance training only uh, when you had the concurrent training, so endurance plus strength, and compare that with endurance training only. And uh, the interesting thing was that the uh, the correlation here was strong with the improvements that were seen in when measuring MVC and RFD directly. And this study also measured the actual fiber shift that I talked about in point one and, and found that to be going on here as well. So there are many, many functions, many factors behind the improvements. But uh, point number two here, neuromuscular fun- function is uh, at the core of it and then leading to those improvements in force production and rate of force development. And so we had uh, number one, uh, a fiber shift from 2X fibers to 2A fibers. Number two, neuromuscular function leading to improved force production and force develop rate of force development. And number three, finally, the with the big umbrella of mechanisms behind the adaptations is uh, an increased uh, musculotendinous stiffness. And this leads to better exercise economy, at least in running. We know that that sort of stiffness is really good to have. The improvements that we see from heavy resistance strength training in terms of musculotendinous stiffness have also been observed from plyometric training. So it doesn't necessarily have to be heavy resistance strength training when we're talking about this particular mechanism. Uh, But uh, plyometric training can also function well. Uh, some like low rep uh, low weight sorry low weight high rep um, general resistance training would generally not show these increases in musculotendinous stiffness and as i said i will link to a paper called effects of strength training on endurance capacity in top level endurance athletes it's a systematic review and figure five in that paper uh, which uh, is uh, it's a the entire pdf so you can access it it's not closed Uh, There you can see all of these mechanisms behind adaptations laid out in a neat little diagram with arrows pointing to what sort of effects each uh, mechanism has. As for the second part of your question, whether more functional exercises uh, in air quotes would be better or what my take on, on those compared to heavy resistance strength training is, Uh, I think that in certain situations, yes, they could. But uh, I would also be quick to point out that in that situation, we are definitely in the realm of anecdotal and experiential evidence because really the peer-reviewed evidence that is out there that definitely unequivocally points towards the heavy resistance strength training being how we get the most endurance adaptations. But that is not everything. So I do think that there's definitely a, a case for doing uh, functional strength, as you call it, as well. But uh, on that note, I would actually first start by uh, arguing that exercises like uh, a weighted squat and a weighted deadlift, they are highly functional. They involve multiple joints and muscle groups. 
they require great agonist antagonist coordination and good stability and core strength to execute properly so i'm not sure that i would say that single leg squats are any more or any less functional but uh, i could uh, definitely agree that they are more specific to running for example or to cycling for that matter than a standard squat the obvious counter argument for that sort of specificity and why more specific doesn't necessarily mean better is if more specificity means always means that it's better why bother with strength training in the first place and why not just run more or bike more which is far more specific than strength training that's obviously uh, uh, taking the argument to an extreme and it's way too simplistic but it's just to make the point that we're not necessarily looking for maximum specificity when we're planning strength training uh, the uh, second point, other than uh, the actually pointing out that uh, I think that heavy resistance strength training is highly functional, is that I definitely do not think that it's an either-or proposition. That's uh, And you're not saying that it is either, by the way. But sometimes in some articles you can read about that. But that's just a false dichotomy. And I strongly believe that the best thing is to do both. For example, in the strength training program that uh, is available on scientifictriathlon.com, you will, in almost all, all workouts, you will have a main set of uh, heavy resistance strength training with the standard exercises like squats and deadlifts and so on. But then you will have a set uh, that focuses on what you might call uh, quote-unquote functional exercises. And some examples that spring to mind here are single leg glute bridges, crab walks, running man, single leg squats, hip hikes, and so on. And it's just so easy to do both. And I can only see benefits of doing both the heavy resistance strength training and then some certain specific exercises like the single leg squat, the single leg glute bridge, and certain exercises that are targeting specific aspects that uh, we want to get at. For example, with something like uh, the plank, like a standard plank or plank variations, we're after anti-extension. With something like a Russian twist, we're after anti-rotation. So these are all aspects of core strength and stability that we uh, need to develop as endurance athletes. So, so we're trying to develop multiple uh, smaller niches of our strength basically and we shouldn't lock ourselves down to like one single method it's it's a similar i, I guess analogy to the whole debate of should i do sweet spot training or polarized training but the reality is that you can draw some benefits from doing both and mix and match and uh sweet spot training is uh, definitely good to do at some points in the season and uh, at other points polarized training with more high intensity but uh, a lot of low intensity as well might be better so again not uh, really marrying the means but trying to just look pragmatically at what is the best means to achieve a specific outcome without getting attached to the means itself if that makes sense. I got a bit on a bit of a ramble there. So I apologize for that, but I uh, hope that it makes sense. That uh, the, the whole point is that it's not either or. I do think that you should do both. And uh, my third point here is that there are definitely some examples where I would say that high resistance strength training 
may not be as good as focusing more on uh, some of those specific or quote-unquote functional exercises. And uh, this is all just my personal opinion and uh, experience, coaching experience, so take it for what it is. But I have a few examples here that I want to go through. And the first one is when the athlete cannot uh, do heavy resistance training with good control and good quality of movement, then it makes no sense at all to put them under heavy load and expect things to pan out well. And the best case scenario is that they don't get anything out of it. And the worst case scenario is a serious injury. So in that scenario, you simply start by learning the correct technique with just body weight and or maybe a wooden dowel, uh, of course, for something like the squat or for the deadlift, or even maybe super lightweight, depending on where you fall on how how difficult the movement is for you this of course it goes for any exercise though like if you do something like a plank or a single leg squat or a push-up uh, if you don't if you do them with really poor technique then you're not really getting any benefits from them either so with any exercise learning technique should be the first priority but i guess the the potential negative outcomes of doing heavy resistance strength training are much greater than when it comes to bodyweight exercises so you can so so you need to be much more careful there and that's why this is an example of where we would not be doing heavy resistance strength training but what we would be doing is to just master the movement first with body weight or a wooden dowel and then gradually going to very light weights and just over time increasing that weight and making sure that the athlete can can maintain good technique and never increasing weight so much that they cannot do that. And eventually they will be proficient enough that they can do that exercise, let's say it's a squat, at what is actually heavy resistance for them. And throughout this period of learning a couple of exercises that they might not be doing well at the moment, uh, they might be doing uh, some other heavy resistance exercises that they can control. But they might also be doing some of those bodyweight exercises that they can control. So again, not an either or, best of the best of both worlds. But if we have an athlete that has problems with most exercises and is really new and uh, kind of uncoordinated, and then generally, yes, we it makes sense to stay away from heavy resistance strength training first and do mostly bodyweight stuff until we are confident that the technique is where it needs to be to gradually start to add on weights and at that point gradually is a key word the second example is when we're getting to the racing season and it becomes really important to avoid any excessive fatigue to be able to race well but also to perform well in key sessions leading up to races now it, it is true that heavy resistance strength training adaptations can diminish quite quickly, so I strongly recommend against completely abandoning it. But what I try to do in this period is to just hit the minimum effective dose of heavy resistance strength training, which might be to go to two times six reps at 80% of 1RM, whereas maybe before you were doing three times five reps at 90% of 1RM or 80 
7% of one RM or something like that, and you did it for more exercises, now you maybe reduce one exercise. Before you might have been doing this twice per week, now you might be doing it once per week, and so on. You simply try to find a minimal effective dose to maintain those strength training gains with some heavy resistance training, but just a bare minimum so that you avoid excessive accumulated fatigue and DOMS and all that sort of thing. So you're shifting the emphasis then instead towards various body weight and specific movement exercises. And uh, that way you can still get in your strength and conditioning. You can still maintain that stability that you would be working on whether you're doing a squat or a plank. But in this case, the plank is probably the better option because it uh, induces less less excessive fatigue, less uh, DOMS and so on. So that is uh, the second example when we're approaching uh, the racing season and we are when we are in racing season, we just move to a more minimal amount of heavy resistance strength training. And finally, the final example is that if the athlete is really limited in some other capacity, that simply is a much bigger priority uh, than, for example, getting better exercise economy or getting better uh, neuromuscular function to improve uh, maximum force or rate of force development. Uh, uh, the best example of this, I think, is if they are have real problems with something like core stability. If this is the case then I generally think that we get greater bang for buck by focusing on working, improving that core stability and forgetting a bit about heavy resistance strength training until we have solved this more pressing issue. But um, on the other hand, I think that most athletes that have been in the sport for a couple of years at least tend not to have such extreme limiters that that you really have to go all in on that limiter so for most athletes i do think that you can do both some heavy heavy resistance strength training and some of those more specific slash functional exercises and that works well but there are cases where the benefits of heavy resistance strength training is something we can push way down the line until we solve some more important issues like for example uh, a very lacking core stability now, your final question was, you said that someone told you that with bodyweight exercises, the number of repetitions does not matter as they do not elicit hypertrophy anyway. So you could go beyond six reps with push-ups or similar exercises. And uh, yes, for endurance athletes in practice, yes, this is absolutely correct. You can and you should go beyond six exercise, six reps for these types of bodyweight exercises and similar uh, although I should point out that technically, in theory, in theory, you can absolutely elicit hypertrophy, at least in certain muscle groups, by using bodyweight exercise only. And actually, the upper body is the prime example of this. So the push-up is actually an exercise that could be used to build some hypertrophy with bodyweight only. Also, uh, pull-ups, that, that would be an, another example, because that would actually work the, the lats really well. But that being said, all the same aspects of uh, hypertrophy still apply. You need to impose a progressively progressive overload of mechanical uh, stress, which is time under tension and metabolic stress potentially as well, uh, to to get that hypertrophy going. 
so for us endurance athletes and with the volumes of strength training we do that is why you almost never see hypertrophy in strength training studies with endurance athletes we just don't do the volume to induce that stress unless you are somebody who is completely new to training or to strength training perhaps you are a female with a very low muscle mass then yes with doing push-ups at not too high a volume you might be building some muscle mass and probably only for the best to be honest it wouldn't be a problem at all but uh, i do agree that for most endurance athletes we are not going to be <laughs> building hypertrophy whether we're doing heavy weights heavy resistance strength training or bodyweight exercises it doesn't matter because that's actually the the second point that i should mention that uh, we we don't have to worry about hypertrophy for those uh, heavy rep exercises for heavy resistance exercises either just because the total volume that we do is not enough to generally uh, induce those those adaptations but the reason that we keep the the reps low is not so that we avoid hypertrophy it is just so that we get that heavy resistance which is the stimulus that we that we want but anyway that's uh, you are right with the uh, bodyweight exercises and specific functional exercises and the like i do recommend going beyond six six reps so do 10 15 20 reps depending on what exercise it is and where you are uh, just try to yeah get in a lot of repetition so that you can work on a quality movement but also if you are doing something like the push-up which at the end of the day it's not really about a specific movement for you that's about strength then at least you need to you want to be getting in some time under tension so just do a lot of them do 15 do 20 if you can and three reps of that rather than doing just one set of eight because then you're just getting getting us such a small amount of uh, of dosage that the response is probably going to be absolutely minimal and even though it will be small with three sets of 15 there might still be a little bit more of a strength improvement even though you won't see a hypertrophy uh, from from that minimum amount of stress that the muscle comes under so uh, that's it uh, thank you for your questions lars and uh, i hope that you found uh, the answers helpful and that's it for today keep sending in questions to michaelscientifictriathlon.com and that's michael with a k i actually had a second question lined up and i was halfway through writing my notes for it when i realized that uh, i just want to think about that question and the answer a bit more and do some more research before answering so i will save it for another week and uh, i want to talk about this a little bit because with these q a episodes i do try to have a quality over quantity approach in my answers to the questions uh, i want to minimize factual errors even though i will still make some of course uh, but uh, yeah try try to minimize them and definitely try to not just ramble out the first thoughts that jump into my head uh, but actually sit down when i see the question and think about it and analyze it from different perspectives do some research on it and give a well-rounded answer that can be helpful for as many listeners as possible so i hope that that's something you as a listener find to be a positive rather than a negative even though sometimes it means that i only answer one person's question per episode that being said i'm also very aware that often these q a episodes get uh, quite technical and oftentimes it's my fault but uh, also the fact is that most of the questions that i get in especially recently are very technical and 
I want to I should emphasize it more more often so well better start sooner rather than later I want to make it very clear that the most important questions uh, in my opinion to answer are not the technical ones but the practical ones so I would encourage all listeners especially those that are on the beginner side of the spectrum to send in any questions that you have uh, and I'm sure that you have questions so don't let the fact that many of these Q&As are very technical don't let that uh, intimidate you from sending in your very practical questions because those practical questions are i'm very sure the ones that help the most amount of athletes i am absolutely convinced about that and this podcast is all about helping athletes it's not about citing studies even though sometimes that can be part of it but that's not the end goal that's just a means so now I hope I get a flooded inbox with practical questions and beginner questions to michael at scientifictriathlon.com. Keep them coming. Moving on to the house cleaning items that I mentioned at the start. Uh, so first of all, the free COVID-19 training plan. Uh, so this is something that I created so that athletes that don't have access to the pool or open water right now can still be doing some uh, structured training that can help them improve their bike and their run uh, but also not be so demanding that uh, you would be at the limit of your capacity which would be a bad idea right now because all the races are cancelled or postponed so we're pretty far from racing at this point realistically so i did uh, three versions of the plan which is uh, each of these versions is an eight-week plan but depending on what your typical weekly volume is, you might go for the low or mid or high volume plan. So those are 7 hours per week, 12 hours per week, or 17 hours per week. And you can just pick the one that is closest to what you normally do and go for that. And I think even if you're not going to follow the plan uh, exactly as is, uh, I, I don't think that uh, that's something for everybody. So for some people, it might be great. For some people, just have a look at it and get some inspiration and some new knowledge, perhaps about structuring, training, and just inspiration for workouts that you can add to your rotation. And uh, that in itself will be potentially something that can be useful even though you're not really following the plan so i really encourage anybody that doesn't have a coach or a customized training plan to go and have a look at this plan because i really think that it can help athletes at this time of uh, uncertainty with races not really clear in terms of when they will be starting up again and so on and the other house cleaning item is that uh, the inside testing service that uh, i offer uh, has just got a big 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 update in terms of the testing protocol so inside for those that are not aware is a way to get lab grade accuracy physiolo physiological data from a test protocol that you can do at home using just a power meter on your bike so a series of time trials essentially and uh, this new protocol is much updated, much improved. No more overpacing for those of you that did the old protocol and uh, know what what I mean when I say an overpaced time trial. You don't have to do that anymore. The time trials in this new protocol are just the normal steady time trials that uh, we are much more familiar with. So it's much easier to execute. There are a lot of improvements as well in like underneath the hood so to say in the inside algorithm so it's uh, even better now and uh, 
there are a lot of improvements simply but go and have a look on the website on the inside page that i have there if you want to learn more about the new protocol and as i record this i am going through this uh, test i am doing it spread out over a few days so not doing all of the time trials on the same day but when you listen to this i will have finished my first inside test with the new protocol and i hope that it went well so that's it for this Q&A episode. Tune in on Monday to hear my interview with coach Frank Jakobsen, who is uh, most famous probably from for having coached or advised uh, Craig Alexander, Ironman World Champion. And that's uh, a really good interview, so definitely stay tuned for that. Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take their free online sweat test and get a personalized hydration strategy and use the promo code thattriathlonshow15 to get 15% off your order. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear. Definitely check out the Maverick MX Max Buoyancy wetsuit if you're looking for a wetsuit. And you can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code that you can find on roca.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.